Merry almost Christmas. It's coming way too soon. I am nowhere near. Who's ready? Really? I'm insanely jealous of all of you. Not even close ready for me. But I love the season. I love the music. I love the theme we've chosen. The phrase thrill of hope. It's optimistic. It's up. It's big. And it comes from my favorite Christmas song, which we just sang. If you're watching online, you don't know that. But uh, we just sang, Oh Holy Night. I love it when Christmas carols become worship choruses and worship songs, and that is one of all of them, drives me to worship Jesus. So I love that song. I love the theme. I love the phrase, a thrill of hope. But I want us to recognize that a hope is a two-edged sword. As much as we all want hope, we want to be hopeful people, we've all experienced this. Hope can be a source of pain. Because when you hope for things that don't happen, your hopes get dashed, and that hurts. I I know what that's like because I'm a fan of the Los Angeles Dodgers. (laughs) And the last two World Series, no fair applauding, the last two two World Series, they got just that close. And they got our hopes up that this is the year they're going to win it all. And guess what? No, twice in a row they lost. That was painful. uh, My hopes got dashed. Now, that's not as bad as uh, Buffalo Bills. Any, Any Buffalo people here? Okay. Any of you there in the early 90s? They lost four straight Super Bowls. Not just four in 10 years, four straight Super Bowls. I can't imagine. How do you come back from that, of getting your hopes up, and then, oh, we get beat not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. Now, those are relatively minor dashings of hope. So we laugh about them. They're kind of funny. But other kinds of crushed hope can be a lot more painful. Let's, let's acknowledge that. Let's be honest. We're family. You didn't get that job you were counting on. Or the promotion was in the job, so you're stuck where you've been, or you're still looking for a job, and you had your hopes set on that one. That relationship you were counting on with that significant other either never happened or it fell apart, and you're not together anymore, and that's a painful dashing of hopes. What about the big leagues of dashed hopes? You lose a loved one. They're gone. They're dead, especially at Christmas. Uh, The last three Saturdays, I've gone to memorial services. We here at Heights, in one stretch of eight days this month, were involved in five different services. Can you imagine losing a a loved one at Christmas time? Some of you aren't imagining it. Some of you are living it. Some of you, it's part of your life. It's, It's what you brought into this room. And some of you, maybe if you didn't lose them recently, you lost them earlier this year, and you're realizing, ah, this Christmas, the famous first Christmas with an empty place at the table or an empty bed next to you. In either case, we learn that hope can cause pain. When when what we hope for doesn't happen, it's difficult to say the least. And it's one thing when circumstances or a sports team or or whatever cause the, the dashing of our hopes. What do we do when we know that it's God who's done it? What do we do when God's the one we're disappointed in? Aren't y'all glad you came already today? Aren't you feeling uplifted by an encouraging Christmas sermon? No, if we're going to talk about hope, we've got to talk about this side of it sooner or later. And we're going to look today at what I think is one of the more powerful stories in the Gospels, also one of the funnier stories of the Gospels. There'll be some light moments. This is one of those stories that makes us chuckle because two disciples of Jesus begin the story with dashed hopes. But with one talk with Christ, their hope gets reignited. Maybe you need reignited hope 
today? If so, you've come to the right place. Because what we're going to leave with today, I hope, if we walk away with one big idea, is the only is new hope. And that's what Jesus gives. Lord, would you give that generously in this room today? With those, of, those who came without hope or with diminished hope, may we all find that hope reignited and restored because we spend time with you and in your word. Would you speak? Because we're listening. In Christ's name, amen. The story I just described is found in Luke chapter 24. Turn there in your Bibles with me if you would. It's the story of two disciples on the road to a town called Emmaus. It's usually an Easter story, but we're all about confusing people here at Heights Church, so we're going to turn this into a Christmas passage for today because I think you'll see where it fits. Now, the stage is set in Luke chapter 24 as we read verses 13 through 16. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, two of the disciples, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And the stage is being set here. The, let's, let's set the stage with it. That, that same day, when you look at the context of chapter 20, earlier in chapter 24, that same day is the Sunday after the crucifixion, three days after Jesus died on the cross. A rather important day, wasn't it, if I recall? Some pretty big things happened on that Sunday. Uh, and that will come into play in just a little bit. So the, the same day, that Sunday after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're going to learn later on that these guys even had heard about the resurrection. Before they left Jerusalem, they got wind that, hey, something's going on. Some women came back and they said they didn't see him and maybe he's risen again. And they still left. They still turned around. Well, we got, we got business. We got, we got to get out of town. We got to leave. How hopeless do you need to be? To hear that maybe the Lord who promised he would rise from the dead, maybe he did rise from the dead, and you say, oh, peace out, i got to go. That tells you where the heart of these men is. They are literally hopeless. Uh, and then it says they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. It had been quite a week, let's face it, for these guys. And let's cut them some slack because of that. Look back at what the last few days had been for them. It begins with this incredible moment of the triumphal entry when Jesus comes to Jerusalem and, and people are shouting his name and throwing palm branches in front of his donkey and they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the one who comes. And, and, and you're starting to think, maybe this is the day. Because you signed on to what you thought was some kind of a revolution. You signed on with what you thought was a rising star of, of, of the religious life and political life of the nation. Maybe now's the time. So you start the week with your hopes up, and then as the week goes on, you realize, well, Jesus isn't doing anything to take advantage of all of this momentum, and in fact, he's getting people angry at him with some of the stuff he says, and then he gets arrested, and then he gets tried, and then he gets killed, and you think, that's it. We're done. We're done. It's over. The, the moment we were looking for, the moment we'd hoped for is not going to happen. And it says they were talking to each other. If you were one of those two men, what would you have been saying about that week? As you walked along and you're actually kind of probably escaping in your own mind because these moments are dangerous for the followers of the, of the, of the chief who was taken down. And you're thinking, maybe there's a, there's a price on my head. So in some ways you're escaping, but then as you get safe and you say, well, that wasn't what we expected, was it? Man, what a terrible week. What a traumatic 
week? What kind of things might you have been saying to each other about that week? And then along comes Jesus in disguise. I doubt if he was wearing a fake nose and glasses. Don't get me wrong. But for some, some way, God had a way to veil their eyes. They couldn't tell who it was they were talking to. And he comes along. I, I love this, this verse because it's like Jesus is looking out from the page of the scripture and winking at us. He said, well, watch this. This is going to be really, really good. Okay, these verses set the stage. And then we get a sense of the discouragement levels of these two men. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. <laughs> He's got a gleam in his eye, I know. What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. There's an interesting word. We'll talk about that in a second. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had a hoped, what a sad three words, we had a hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. First, it was clear from their actions that they are feeling hopeless. Their faces were downcast, it says. It was clear from their words. We had a hoped that he was the one. And so we can see these men are actually people with crushed hopes. And, and, and they're understandable, these, this crushing of hopes, because they had an expectation. Like all Israelites, knew about the history of the nation, knew about the Old Testament scriptures, they knew that as hard as this life was, better days were coming. They'd been told. They'd been trained and they had terminology for it. This age was today. It was modern times in, in their day. And it was hard. There was idolatry, and there was sin, and there was oppression, and the bad guys kept winning, and the good guys kept losing, and life was hard. This age is hard. But they'd been told over and over, as they went to synagogue, and they went to temple, and their, their prophecies of the Old Testament were read aloud, they'd been told to, the better days were coming, and, and this age is tough, but the age to come, which is what they called it, was going to be so much better. God was going to win in the age to come. Death was going to go away in the age to come. The bad guys were going to be judged, and the good guys were going to be protected, and everybody yearned, everybody hoped for the age to come. Well-known prophecies that we still enjoy today pointed them in this direction. Jeremiah, in chapter 29, Jeremiah was a prophet in the, one of the hardest moments in the history of the nation of Israel. It was his job to watch and be God's spokesman as the nation of Babylon came in and stomped on the people of Israel. He even had to tell them, don't fight back. This is God's plan. And so he, had, he wrote this whole book talking about how difficult it was. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, all of a sudden there's this glimpse because God throws in these little glimmers of hope in the midst of the pain. And Jeremiah 29 verse 11, through Jeremiah, God says this, I know the plans I have for you, people of Israel. It's not always going to be like this. Yeah, it's hard now. It's awful now. But the plans I have for you include a hope. There's the word. A hope and a future. 
The same prophet had to actually watch the Babylonians destroy the, the city and, and, and take the temple down to the ground. The place where the only God was worshipped didn't exist anymore. And he wrote a little book called Lamentations right after his, his big prophecy in the Old Testament. A little five-chapter book. Just pouring out his heart. You can tell from the name. It's agony and his pain. And in the midst of it, as God tends to do, a little glimmer, a very famous glimmer. He says, this I call to my mind in the midst of the pain and the agony and the bitterness. This I call to my mind and therefore I have hope. The loving kindness of the Lord is new every morning. Even now, even here, I have hope because my God is faithful, he said. A man named Joel, a prophet we don't talk much about, his book is real short, three chapters at the end of the Old Testament, actually described the moment that would make that dramatic change from this age to the age to come. He called it the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That that was going to be the moment God said, enough. I'm stepping in, I'm putting an end to the yuck, I'm bringing in the good stuff, the Spirit would be poured out, dreams and visions and miracles would take place, and it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be saved. That day was coming. And we can actually visualize that day on a timeline. You want to go with me to a timeline? I don't have maps. I got a timeline today. Let's go, let's go there. This, this age is rough. This age hurts. But the day of the Lord was going to come, the Messiah would descend or be risen up, and he would put an end to this age, and the age to come would begin. It's going to get better. And the problem for these two disciples is that's the picture they had of what would happen when the Messiah came. And we know, with hindsight, that's not what happened when the Messiah came. The Messiah is coming. Jesus' birth, who we're going to celebrate, his birth in just in a few days, looked more like this. This is an unexpected overlap. Um, and this age. Yeah, the Messiah comes like was expected. And he begins, the, he brings the kingdom of God. He brings salvation. He brings the resurrection from the dead. All the things they were looking for were there with Jesus. But this age is still around. The Romans are still here. Sin is still here. Death is still here. And so it's understandable that somebody trained to think the way they were thinking, there'd be this dramatic, traumatic change from old to new, and instead they get this overlap. That's understandable. And maybe that's why they use the word prophet to describe Jesus. Because the prophets didn't bring in a whole new age. They didn't destroy the, the old realms. Everything was still bad when the prophets died. And everything was still bad when Jesus died. So it's understandable that they would diminish their expectations and have their hopes dashed because this doesn't make any sense. And the tension between the age to come and this age is so thick. That's what led to the death of Christ. Here he is, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, killed on a cross. How could that be? Well, because there's this tension between this age and the age to come. And most importantly of all, one of the reasons they couldn't maybe in that moment understand that Jesus was the one who was promised, that his birth was the fulfillment of all these promises, was because he lost. Didn't he? He died on the cross. Winners don't die on a cross. Winners don't get crucified. And the Messiah was supposed to win. And Jesus lost. So these guys are wrestling with this. They don't even know all this. They didn't have my chart. 
<laughs> back then. Or they might have understood it. But they're walking along talking about that. We must have had our hopes up for no reason. And so they are feeling hopeless when the conversation begins. But guess what? Jesus has a lesson for them. Starting in verse 25, after they mention that, yeah, we heard rumors of the resurrection, but we came here anyway. Jesus steps in and he no longer asks questions. The first two times he intervened were question marks. Now he's making statements. Now the Son of God has taken charge, ladies and gentlemen. And here's what happens. He said to them, How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus decides to take over, and he starts making statements, and he actually explained to them all in the scriptures concerning him. And you're going to see in a minute there were two kinds of prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. Some show him as suffering and, and, and in pain and even dying, and others show him as powerful and triumphant. And Jesus is going to take them through that first part. And I got to tell you, if I could get in a time machine and go back and listen to any Bible study or any sermon in all of human history, I'd want to hear this one. Can you imagine the Bible study Jesus led them through? The one who inspired these books, the one who gave the words to the prophets to speak, says, let, let me tell you what the promises are all about. Let me explain me to you in these books you've been reading since you were kids. I'm dying to know what he said. I'd love to have the outline <laughs> of that Bible study. And I'm, which prophecies, which passage did he turn to? Did he look at, at, at the sacrifice of Isaac? 2,000 years before Jesus came. You, you probably know the story. Uh, Abraham is told to sacrifice his son. At the last minute, there's a ram caught in the thicket who takes the place of the condemned young man. Did Jesus point to that passage and say, the ram, that's me. Did he, because he could have, talked about the Passover lamb a few centuries later? You might know the story. The people of Israel are about to leave Egypt. The firstborn in every family is going to die. The people of Israel sacrificed a lamb, put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts to spare the life, to save the firstborn. Did Jesus look at the Passover lamb and say, that's me? He could have turned to Psalm 22, written 1,000 years before he was born, 600 years before crucifixion even existed as a means of execution. And he could have pointed to the verse that David was inspired to write. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare at me. They take my clothes and for my garment they cast lots. Is that familiar? That happened. Jesus fulfilled it. Did he point to Isaiah chapter 53, 700 years before Jesus was born, where the prophet writes, by God's inspiration, I was pierced for their transgressions. I was crushed for their sins. The punishment for their trespasses fell on me. Did Jesus say, that's me? Isaiah 53, that's me. Psalm 22, that's me. He could have, and there's so many more he could have used. And as the disciples listen to this incredible teaching, they begin to see their hope restored. First in Emmaus, later in Jerusalem. In Emmaus, here's what happens. When he was at the table with them in the town they were headed toward, 
Bible study's over. They convinced him to stay with them. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. It's about time. And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Here it comes now. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning within us? Friends, that's what reignited hope sounds like. That's what reignited hope feels like. That's when people start to realize this looks like a train wreck. It feels like a train wreck. It's not a train wreck. It's not even a detour. This is what God had in mind all along. This, painful as it is, awful as it was, this was God's plan. It looks like he lost, but he actually won. God's victories come disguised as defeats. And as this began to dawn on these people, their hope got reignited. We're not our hearts burning within us. Can I ask you a personal question? Whatever's making you feel hopeless, or at least draining and sapping and, and diminishing your hope for the future, whatever's, whatever you brought into this room that you wish wasn't in your life and makes, gives you a very dark picture of your future, can you possibly trust that God can make it a win? Oh, man, I realize that, that could be a hard swallow. That could be... Seriously, Mike, this, this thing in my life? Well, if the bloody murder of the Son of God can be a win, anything can become a win, can it? If the crucifixion of Jesus, awful as it was, could be something God had in mind for good, that he could take what people meant for evil and turn it for good, can you trust? Can you hope? I dare to use that word, that he can do it for you. I believe you can. Their hope got expanded in Emmaus and it got expanded even further and it's restored in Jerusalem because at the end of the story, they get all excited. They go running back to Jerusalem. They tell the, their friends, hey, Jesus is alive. And they go, well, duh, we know that. Because by the time they got back, every, all the disciples knew that. He'd already shown himself. And so they no doubt merged back into this group of disciples. And I hope they spent the next 40 days hanging out with Jesus. Man, I hope they did. They, they walked away at the wrong time. I hope they didn't walk away again. They don't come up again, so we don't know for sure. But man, if, if you found out Jesus was risen again and wanted to hang out with you, wouldn't you say yes? So I hope they spent 40 days hanging out with him. And then one day, he took the whole gang of disciples out to a mountain outside Jerusalem, Mount of Olives. And all of a sudden, his feet left the ground after he said a few words, and he goes flying. Doesn't happen every day. And, and they're watching. What else would you do? You know, you try to jump. Hey, can I do that too? No. And they're watching him ascend into heaven. And then all of a sudden these angels appear. That doesn't happen every day either. And they, they rebuke him a little bit. They say, men of Galilee, the angel said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Now, that would be really good news if these guys were still wrestling with some of the other promises of the Old Testament about the Messiah. See, Jesus fulfilled a bunch of them, and the, the New Age was sort of here. Yeah, we get that, but when is the lion going to lay down with the lamb? 
When are we going to beat our swords into plowshares? When are we going to make war no more? That hasn't happened yet. And what they, what they realized was, looking back at our, at our overlap, the age to come was here, but this age is still around, and there's tension between the two, but there's other promises that have yet to be fulfilled. And the moment the angel just talked about, the second part of the day of the Lord is coming later. And so what they learned was, what the Bible calls, the New Testament calls the blessed hope, is that Jesus comes twice. He is not yet done, friends. That's what stirs our hope today. That's what makes us realize that there's better is yet to come. And even when we have questions and we wrestle and we struggle, the Messiah comes twice. And that's what allows the rest of the picture to make sense. And those two comings are drastically different. The first time he came humbly. The second time he'll come powerfully. The first time his arrival was known to a few. The second time to the whole world. The first, it was a bunch of angels who announced his coming to a a few shepherds. The second time when he comes back, it'll be with a trumpet that the whole world will hear. First time he came through a young virgin, but he'll come back on a white horse. First time he came as a carpenter. He'll come back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The first time he came to die, and the second time he comes to reign forever. And we live in the box, don't we? We live in this time frame between the two comings, and it's, there's challenges to it, but there's beauty in it as well. And what I want us to grasp here at Christmas is the answer to the question, how can we be sure he'll come a second time? Because he came the first time. How can we know the rest of the prophecies will be fulfilled? Because these ones were. And he's not done yet. In fact, he's just getting started. He's just getting started in our world. He's just getting started in our lives. So we are privileged friends to have hope in both directions. As we live in this box and in the tension between those two ages, it's a regular part of our lives every day. Talk about that in a minute. We look backwards And there's hope because he came the first time. And we look forwards and there's hope, the blessed hope, as Paul calls it to Titus, that he's coming a second time. He's coming back because he's not done yet. He's not done with our world and he's not done with us. That's why, as I said when we started, the only cure for crushed hope is new hope. Jesus gives. I hope he's giving it right now. I hope some folks who walked in here wondering, how could I have hope given my circumstances and my life and my problems and my pain, my difficulties? How could I be expected to be hopeful? Well, it's because you've got a big God who's not done yet. Now, what's, what's the big thing about hope? Why does it matter? Well, first, it gives you confidence we wouldn't have if it weren't for him. And and that confidence answers a question positively that we all want to answer. Maybe you need reignited hope because you're saying, I'm so tired of being sick. It feels like it's one thing after another or it's one very long thing. I understand that. My wife's been in constant pain for 17 years. 
And you ask yourself, will the pain ever go away? Will this ever change? Yes, it will. Because Jesus isn't done yet. It might happen in this life. I pray it does. But if not, it's going to happen after. Some people might say, I'm, I'm tired of crying. It just seems like my kids and my job and my life, just I come to tears all the time. Will God ever wipe my tears away? Yes, he will. I read Revelation 20 through 22 two days ago. I will wipe every tear from their eyes because Jesus isn't done yet. I'm tired of injustice, you might say. I turn on the news and I, I, I read the paper, I re- go online and there's so much pain and suffering and people being evil to each other and children suffering. And When's it all going to stop? How does God put up with it? Is he ever going to say enough? Yes, he will. Because he isn't done yet. I'm exhausted by life's stresses and strains. It seems like I'm just working all the time and I'm going backwards. Will it ever get better? Yeah, it will. I'm so tired of everything in me that pushes me away from what God wants and towards sin. And I know it's it's not worthy of a child of God. There's There's stuff in me that is tugging on me all the time and I'm weary. Will I ever be free of that struggle? Yes, you will. Because Jesus isn't done yet. He's not done changing us. He's not done saving us. And some of you are here today and and, and you're not even sure you are a child of God by faith in Christ. And we're glad you're here. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming. But boy, are you ready to bow the knee to this Jesus I'm talking about? To recognize he's he's the most amazing human being ever because he was God and man at one time. That his death on the cross was a death for you. So you should bow the knee to him today and in a really quick, easy prayer say, Lord, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need your forgiveness. Thank you for loving even someone like me. Please forgive me, and I commit to follow you starting today. Simple prayer like that is all it would take, friends. You don't need anyone there with you, but if you'd like someone there, come down and talk with me or other people when the service ends in a minute. Because hope is normal for a child of God. For someone who knows who holds our futures, Having hope in him makes total sense. So not only, though, do we have confidence in the future thanks to the two comings of Jesus, we also get motivated to holiness in the present. See, our knowledge of the future, what little glimpses we get, isn't just meant to make us feel proud of, I know what's coming and you don't, neener, neener, neener. Uh, No, it's not quite the reaction God wants us to have. First John tells us, dear friends, now we're children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we'll be like him. Why? For we shall see him as he is. That moment is coming. Now, all who have this hope in him purify themselves, present tense, today, just as he is pure. Friends, it's not just to know the future that God gives us these glimpses. It's one day I'm going to be like Jesus, but today I want to be like Jesus. We live in that box between the age to come in this age, which means we're trying to live as members of the kingdom and we're pulled constantly in other directions. And that's okay. That's where God has us. And why not look at that as an opportunity to win, to resist, to be like Jesus today? I'm glad he's going to make me like him when he comes back. You know what my goal is? He not have to change me that much. I I, want to go every day more and more like him. So when he returns, he's going to have work to do on me. But I hope he has less work to do next year than he would have this year. 
And I hope he would have less work to do today than a year ago because I'm not waiting to be like him. I'm purifying myself just as he is pure. That's what the blessed hope gives us. That's what the awareness of the future gives us today. To be transformed people, living transformed lives for the God of transformation. So more people who are part of this age can become, through us, part of the age to come. Lord, would you make that happen? We're not worthy of it. We don't deserve it. We... We shake our heads at the plans you have for us. And we're so glad for them. We're not worthy of them. But through your Holy Spirit, would you make us worthy of the gospel you give us, of the future that is ours? Would you make us purer men and women and young people in this world, standing out, different, because we know the King of kings and Lord of lords. We know the one who was born in a manger and coming back as a king, because we know and serve the risen Jesus. Lord, would you reignite that hope in us and use it so we could purify ourselves just as you are pure. We pray this in your name. Amen.